What is up? Hello there. My name is Jessica Patching Bunch. You can call me JPB. And this is Brain Body Resilience. This is a podcast dedicated to growth, human development, and stressing a little bit less so you can go ahead and live a little bit more. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode number 106 of the Brain Body Resilience podcast. I am your host, JPB. Today, I want to talk about emotional intelligence, genes, mental health, the myths, the findings. And as you can hear, my voice is just a little bit, a little bit uh, different today. I got a little sick while I was on my trip over the last week. There was a lot of talking, a lot of using my voice that I uh, was not quite uh, prepared for. So I am still resting and recovering from that. But that is not what we're here to talk about. I was listening to an interview with Dr. Gabor Mate, who is a physician and author who tends to focus towards the impact of trauma and the intersection of mental health and physical health. He said a few things about emotional intelligence and the role that it plays in mental health. And I wanted to know more so um, about his perspective. So I looked up, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to hear some of that. Um, throughout this episode. So apologies on that, but that's where we're at. Um, So I looked up some more of his things in regards to um, emotional intelligence and an emotional regulation in regards to mental health and its um, impact there, the correlation. And so this is a bit of a summary of that with my own thoughts and how that ties into the work that I do with brain body resilience. So let's begin with the fact that we used to think that emotionality and cognition were different processes. This comes along the lines of Rene Descartes and his theory of dualism, which is the separation of mind and body. What we know is that learning and cognition have so much to do with our visceral states, the state of our internal organs. These organs send information to the brain about how we are and what is needed. The brain receives those messages from the insides of the body, and those messages determine how well we can engage with the external world. And, you know, this is thanks to some, you know, modern science technology and just like advanced understanding of how the human body works. Which is amazing that sometimes we have such a hard time letting go of like these founding principles that like somebody like thought of thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, when we thought like the earth was flat, which, you know, know, is still sometimes a thing. When we thought all kinds of ridiculous things that didn't make any sense, and we know better now. So again, it is okay to change your mind. When you know better, we can do better. It's okay to incorporate other information. That's a whole other episode. So going back to this, our capacity to pay attention and learn are dependent on what is happening inside of us. Our level of regulation, our ability to process internal states directly affects our capacity to navigate and participate in the world around us. So when we are disconnected from our emotional states and we are looking outside of ourselves for the answers, our ability to engage in the external world is stunted. So if we think about this, we think about the saying that we have, acting out, when, when someone is acting out, it literally means acting out 
what we feel because we do not have the language to express what is going on. And we see this a lot in toddlers and young children. They are acting out the feelings they are experiencing because they do not have the language. And then when we never learn that language, that ability to express ourselves, the ability to become aware and then identify and allow and then express because socially it is not acceptable, we then become adults who throw adult temper tantrums and act out in similar ways as adults or as, as toddlers, we throw fits, we get um, emotionally hijacked and we don't have the words. So we become aggressive or we become um, standoffish or we, you know, have emotional outbursts, we slam things, we stomp, whatever it is. And this is us acting out those internal states that we don't know how to express. And so we have to ask ask ourselves, what is happening emotionally for us in this moment? We have to stop and pause and give ourselves the space to identify what is happening so that we can work with it. Instead of looking at this as a biological issue that needs meds or strictly behavior change, which is how a lot of psychology approaches it, We need to be asking what is underneath the behaviors? Where is this coming from? And we've been told for so long that we are strictly biological creatures and mental health issues in particular are biological um, issues that we can just fix with medication. When in fact, we are biological creatures, we are also psychological, social, spiritual creatures. We can't just pretend that one piece of the puzzle is the whole picture. And again, I always feel like I need to say this. I am not in any way anti-medication. It is only one tool. It is not the answer. And that's where I think we get this wrong. The conditions for healthy brain and nervous system regulation are less and less available. And so then the idea that mental illness, as we have designated them, things like depression, anxiety, PTSD, ADHD, that these things are genetic. It really doesn't make sense. We are finding this to be false. Because one great indicator is that anything spreading throughout a population with the rate of increase that these things are cannot be genetic. Genes do not transform in that way. Genes take generations to adapt and change like that. And we also know that with the work of the Human Genome Project, Um, that has been looking for specific genes for these illnesses in air quotes that you can't see because, you know, you can't see me. They found none. They did not find that there is a gene that contributes to, to any one of these, to depression or to anxiety or to ADHD or anything like that. What they did find is a gene that contributes to sensitivity. And that has been somewhat of an indicator to the possibility of later developing these other conditions which makes total sense in a world where stress, instability, lack of resources, and tragedy around us are exponentially increasing. And this leads to adaptations to help us deal and cope with these things in the moment, and then become maladaptive, meaning that, you know, we don't need them anymore. And they're not actually helping us to integrate and process They become more unhelpful. So When we can't escape our environment of stress and threat, our frontal brain develops according to um, what is happening in our early environment. 
and will kind of give us the the patterning, the coping tools and shortcuts and um, adaptations that are needed in that immediate moment. And the emotional, attentional, impulse, stress regulatory circuits, all of these things that are growing, they need the right environment in order to develop appropriately, in order to develop with um, adaptive, resilient um, nature. And I'm, I'm hesitant, I'm hesitant to say it in that way. I'm not quite, quite finding the right, right words that I want in this moment. Um, because everyone does have the capacity to adapt and become resilient. So I don't want to make it seem like that is something that some people have and some people don't, because that's absolutely not true. But this is also true for neurochemicals. We talk about, um, neurochemicals being imbalanced and that's why we need these medications dopamine, serotonin, cortisol, epinephrine, all of these things that make up a lot of our mental health concerns, these come from that early childhood development patterning. And so when we have things like, I don't know if you've ever had a strong gut feeling that you've ignored, but I know a lot of us have, we'll have a feeling and then rationalize, intellectualize ourselves out of it. And so what's happening when you have that strong gut feeling and choose to ignore it is this is a replay of the story of your childhood. Somewhere, somehow your brain learned that emotional shutdown, not being aware of your feelings was the best possible way to survive. And at some point, your authentic expression of emotions was not validated in your environment. So you learn to shut down, to ignore, to push those things away. And that doesn't take, you know, major childhood neglect or trauma or anything like that. Something as simple as your parents not having the capacity to the energy and space to nurture your needs in that moment, or not having the awareness and emotional attention and intelligence for themselves and telling you to like, suck it up, I'll give you something to cry about. Um, you know, we just pull, pull ourselves up and dust ourselves off and move along without processing things like that, that a lot of us grew up hearing. And so when we shut down curiosity and vulnerability for these emotional states, we are shutting down the learning that then happens for that emotional processing. So we don't know anything past I'm fine, or I'm happy, or I'm mad, or I'm sad. We have to be able to name it. We need the language to process and make sense of some of it. And when we are socialized to pretend that those things don't exist, we do not have the opportunity to do so. So if you look back at episode 100, I talk more about the language around that and give you those uh, the feelings wheel, which is incredibly useful. If you find yourself stuck in the happy, mad, sad kind of triangle of feelings, there are so many more and identifying them can be tricky. So take a look back at that if that's useful for you. Um, We also know when we're looking at kind of the physiology, the nerves that regulate social engagement and our visceral emotional states are the same. So we have to feel safe in order to be able to engage socially. When we are in a fight or flight mode, we can't learn. Literally, we don't have access to that part of our brain for memory, learning, attention. And we can't learn you know, when we can't learn, we can't change our patterns, we can't bring our awareness to what is going on with us, which brings us to, you cannot live your best life in survival mode. So what do we do then? Mindful awareness practice over and over again, this is, you know, 
a solution, an answer for so many of the problems that we have, for so many of the issues that we're facing with our mental health. Mindful awareness practice. And that just means practice paying attention to yourself. Practice paying attention to your emotions, to your thoughts. What is happening inside of you? When practicing this, you are giving yourself the attuned, calm, safe, quiet attention and creating this environment for yourself that you need, have needed, will need. And at this point, you have the capacity to do that for yourself, even if that was not demonstrated for you or allowed for you or given to you in early childhood, which can then make it more difficult now. Yes, but it is possible. And when we're giving ourselves this attunement, this calm, safe space, we're giving ourselves time to absorb, to integrate and to process what is going on, which is desperately needed. And so what I really want to drive in with this episode is those emotions that you think are too much, that are inappropriate, they're not important, that make you weak. They are the foundation of your social, emotional, mental and physical health. They are the driving force behind your learning and cognition your ability to think. We are in fact emotional beings who occasionally think. We like to think it's the other way around. It is not. Your body has a feeling, a sensation, a sensory, you know, (laughs) I don't know where I was trying to go with that. Your body has a feeling, a sense, your sensory processing sends that to your brain. And then your brain tells a story about it. We feel first. We've just become very good about ignoring that. And we don't have the vocabulary and the understanding, the um, the learned relationship with those things to be able to identify them and work with them. So learning to identify your emotions and allow them to exist is one of the very best things that you can do to improve your health, your relationship with yourself, and in that your capacity to be in relationship with the world around you. So I will leave you with this. Nervous system hygiene is the first step to self-regulation, to creating space, to identify emotions, to be able to move past survival mode and into mindful awareness to work with emotional regulation. So some things that we talk about a lot that we can do, create some space to notice your emotions. They happen very quickly. Breathe before you react. Notice that what you feel exists. Name that feeling Use the feelings wheel to widen your vocabulary and give, you know, what may seem abstract, some parameters, something with a name, something that makes a little more sense. Allow that feeling to exist. Don't immediately try to shove it away or convince yourself that you're fine. And then practice that mindful awareness. Again, pay attention to yourself, especially your body in these moments. What are you feeling inside of your body? What is your breath doing? What is your heart doing? What are your muscles doing? Pay attention. And lastly, notice what story you're telling about all of these pieces of information. What are you making this mean? Nothing has meaning without us assigning meaning to it. This is because of this thing. This is because this happened. This is because I'm this way. This means that I'm this way. This means that this is going to happen. This is what this means about me, about them, about the world around me. What story are we telling? Those are some places to start. And I never talk about my services on here, which, <laughs> which is a dis- disservice for everyone. Um, so 
November, I have 10 spaces open for my intro to stress management, the nervous system hygiene builder. And what that is, is a 30 day kind of intensive, just learning to build a nervous system hygiene routine based around creating space with the breath work, and then learning to practice some of these things so that we can put out the immediate fire of stress and anxiety, what is happening currently, learn to identify those behaviors and patterns where we can start to shift from those into something else, something more useful and usable for us going forward. So we're getting the tools to use immediately for immediate care and then also for preventative care. I have 10 spaces open. If this is something you're interested in, I am going to go ahead and put the link in the show notes with all the other resources. Feel free to reach out if you have any questions. I'm happy to answer those. My voice has just about had it, so I am going to say goodbye. Thank you as always for being here. I am incredibly grateful that you choose to spend your time here. Until next week, we'll do this again. Have a beautiful week. And uh, until then, peace out.